Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 71, Sergey Pavlovich versus, versus Curtis Blades in the main event, heavyweight showdown, title implications, uh, two notorious finishers. And it doesn't get any better than this in terms of Let's find out uh, who Johnny Bones Jones is going to fight next or or who the winner of Johnny Bones Jones and Steve Miocic is going to fight next because with Sergei Pavlovich, I mean, you got this destructive Russian knockout artist. Some people were even calling him the White and Ganu. And Curtis Blades set all the takedown records at heavyweight. Um, but now you've been seeing him. Don't sleep on his stand-up either. He's been flooring individuals. So... What a main event. Lots of things to cover. So without further ado, let's get right down to business. So in the main event, in the heavyweight division, we got Sergey Pavlovich. He's 17 and 1, taking on Curtis Blades, who is 17 and 3. And currently they got it. Curtis Blades minus 175. The comeback on Sergey Pavlovich is plus 150. So this is an interesting fight for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously, Sergey Pavlovich, the things he's been doing to all these guys ever since he took that, you know, that debut L against Overeem, the things he's been doing to these guys. I mean, got rid of Marcelo Goleman in slightly over a minute, got rid of Maurice Green in slightly over two minutes, got rid of Shamil in slightly over four minutes, got rid of the Black Beast in slightly under a minute and then followed it up by getting Taito Ivasa out of there in under a minute. So, I mean, when you talk about bouncing back from his, you know, his UFC debut defeat, I mean, he's done it in style. And as a result, now he's got that main event showdown against a staple of the division in Curtis Blades. And when you talk about Curtis Blades, he's fought everybody in the division, literally. Um, from different generations and from this generation and you know he's had to, he's had his ups and downs but this is a guy that can go out there and set records i mean 14 takedowns landed against alexander volkov but you think this guy is just a wrestler ask uh chris Dacus if he's just a wrestler you know what i'm saying uh so ask uh junior cigano dos santos if curtis blades is just a wrestler so because i mean i i hear I hear the noise. I hear the noise that in order for Blades to win this fight, he must take down Sergey Pavlovich. And don't get me wrong. I mean, that's obviously going to increase his chances of winning 100%. But I, I also think that Blades has a chance standing here. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I'm betting Blades and he's standing and banging with Sergey Pavlovich, not going to sit here and act like I'm going to be smiling and being like, yes, Curtis, you know, I'm going to be like, Curtis, take him down, you know? So, but the thing is, Curtis is no slouch on the feet at all. Um, it's just one of those things with Curtis. Um, his chin's definitely been tested, but I thought for the longest time he had an insane chin. I mean, you watch that Mark Hunt fight and some of the shots he took there, man, to overcome that was like, yo, goddamn. But then he's also had his fair share of, canvas snaps you know whether it was in gano whether it was the black beast fight and the black beast fight is an interesting talking point because you know curtis blades in that fight um as far as takedowns were concerned he went 0 for 3 and historically speaking 
you know, Derek Lewis is a guy that gets taken down in a lot of his fights. Now, when he does get taken down, he tends to explode back up and then he does the black beast blitz. But in that specific occasion, Derek Lewis stuffed all the shots. So that was interesting. So it comes down to, you know, what evidence do we have that Sergey Pavlovich is competent at stuffing takedowns? And if he gets taken down, what happens? Will he be able to get back up? So prior to his UFC fights, you know, I did look into it. And I got to be honest, a lot of the guys that he was stuffing against, you know, outside the UFC, they're nowhere near the caliber wrestler that a guy like, like Curtis Blades is. And it's easy to, you know, see his fight with Alistair Overeem and just write it off as a debut stunt. But when I talk about those debut stunts, you know, I talk about like Daniel Zell Huber, where it wasn't about Daniel Zell Huber, you know, just got destroyed against Trey Ogden. It was more like Daniel Zell Huber just didn't fight. <laughs> like he stared at his opponent, kind of like uh, Tyler Santos did against Mara Romero Barella, which, and the difference is that when Sergey Pavlovich made his UFC debut against Overeem, um, I didn't see that hesitancy from Pavlovich. He was trying to take Overeem's head off. He even landed one nasty overhand right. It was kind of like on the top of the head, and Overeem ate it. And then Overeem kind of landed this kind of, it didn't even look like the sharpest trip, but he got it rather easily. And as soon as Sergey was on his back, he kind of looked like a fish out of water, man. I mean, he kind of looked like he ate one ground-and-pound shot, and then he just covered up and, and let the ref intervene. And the reason I'm not chalking that down to a, a, a debut stunt is because, I mean, he was going after it while they were on the feet. You know, he was trying to hit him with that blitz. And y'all know about that Sergey Pavlovich blitz. I mean, it's disgusting that the way he puts down these guys. Um, it's just that when you're when you're blitzing, you know, a wrestler of these credentials. You know, with one of these blitzes, I think that's going to give you, that's going to give Blades the opportunity to time his entry, duck under, and get him down to the ground. Um, so basically on the feet, you know, because I hear everyone saying, well, if it's on the feet, Pavlovich wins. If it's on the ground, Blades wins. It's not that black and white because I think that Blades can do well on the feet as well. It's just that if Blades decides that, hey, like we're going to test our stand up here, I mean, you're increasing the chances of Pavlovich knocking you out. Like, and that's just the bottom line. So why even give him that chance? That that's kind of what where my head's at. Why even give him that chance? And again, Blades has been dropped multiple times. Blades has been knocked out multiple times. So of course, if you see that plus one fifty on Pavlovich and you think like, hey, like, I don't even th I think Curtis, you know, he's been falling in love with his hands, and you think that he's gonna come out here and test his stand up. That doesn't make Pavlovich a lock because this is still a heavyweight and Curtis can crack and Curtis has put down his fair share of people too. But like I said, that heavily increases the odds of, you know, Pavlovich being able to get off on his shots. But on the ground, I do view it as a bit of a, mitch, a, a mismatch. You know, I would be shocked if Pavlovich hit a takedown on Blades. But when Blades gets him down, I mean, that's where you might see that ground and pound that we saw Blades do against Overeem and Overeem do against Pavlovich, and that's where Blades might be able to come out here and, you know, secure himself a title shot, that elusive title shot that's, 
you know, eluded him for a very, very long time. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I lean with Blades here, man. I think he's got more ways to win. And, it, I, like, I can't just look past that Pavlovich and Overeem fight and just chalk it down to a debut stunt. I, I just can't because look who he's rebounded against. Marcelo Gome, not in the UFC, super green, right? Maurice Green, not in the UFC, super green, right? Shamil Abdurakimov, you know, 42 years old. None of these guys had the wrestling credentials of, of Curtis Blades. Derek Lewis. Now, which Derek Lewis did he fight? He fought the Derek Lewis that was coming off a knockout loss to Gan, a knockout loss to Tuivasa. So he already fought the Derek Lewis that was on his way out, the Derek Lewis that no longer had title aspirations and i'm not gonna diminish that knockout people try to say that was an early stoppage like dude Derek face planted that shit was not an early stoppage sergey got him fair and square and then the next fight against tuivasa again i don't like discrediting it but you got to take into account that literally so that fight between sergey and tuivasa happened in december on december 3rd 2022 um i said december 3rd 2022 well Go back a little bit to September 3rd, 2022, and Tuivasa took a whooping of whoopings against Gan and got badly starched, and he just comes back a few months later against one of the heaviest hitters. We know Tuivasa is not a takedown threat. We know Tuivasa wants to stand and bang, and Tuivasa didn't take enough time off between fights, and as a result, he got starched. So while you got to give Pavlovich his credit for handling these guys accordingly, no questions asked, and, of course, it's a heavyweight fight. Blades, like I said, he's been dropped. He's been knocked out. So, yeah, of course there's a chance Pavlovich can knock him out. But the thing about it, man, is that Blades has been getting a lot more comfortable on the feet. So Blades is not – I'm not counting him out standing. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying if he decides to stand, that increases Pavlovich's odds. But I'm not counting out Blades' chances. But I am counting out Pavlovich's chances should he be taken down and end up on his back. And that's where you can see that vicious ground and pound that Blades actually showed against Nganu and that Nganu showed against Pavlovich. So, you know, I'm not trying to do MMA math. I'm just trying to say that Pavlovich off his back uh, is a massive red flag. And, you know, you'd think for a Russian that his wrestling would be, you know, up there, but he, he's one of those striker Russians, kind of like a Alexander Volkov, different body type, of course. You know, this guy's built like a fucking refrigerator, you know, and he's more of a one hitter quitter guy than a kind of volume accumulation guy. But yeah, he's not, you know, it's not like we're dealing with like Islam or Habib, where like, you know, you take them down. If if you get lucky to take them down, they're gonna pop right back up. They're gonna scramble. They're gonna do the whole bit. So. Yeah, I think I got Curtis Blades to to come out here, take this man down, pound him out, and secure your title shot. Um, but again, you know, like if you see the value on that plus 150 on Pavlovich, you see the current run he's on, and of course that he can knock anybody out that's going to stand with him. Um, but that's his only path in this fight as far as I'm concerned, whereas I think Curtis has a chance on the feet, but he's got an even better chance on the mat. And if he fights smart, and takes this guy down, I think I think he dominates. So I've been really enjoying Sergey Pavlovich's run, and obviously I enjoy guys that knock people out more than I enjoy people that lay on people. But at the end of the day, who cares what I like? 
I'm more interested in where the value is and where where I perceive the value is and what I think is going to happen. What I think is going to happen is uh, Curtis Blades is going to take this guy down and smash him. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Curtis Blades in the main event. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division, we got Brad Tavares. I like to call him Hawaiian Bisbing. He's 19-7. and seven. He's taking on Bruno Blindado Silva, who is 22-8. Currently, they got it. Brad Tavares minus 160. The comeback on Bruno Blindado's plus 130. So I have a bet on this fight. I took Bruno Blindado and I took him at plus 155. So I've already beat the current line movement by 25 cents. So I felt like I did my job regarding that. Um, you know, and this is an interesting fight because, you know, Brad Tavares has been a staple of the UFC a very long time in terms of just. He's always been just a tough gatekeeper to the top 15. He's a very solid kickboxer. He's kind of just like an average kickboxer, just average everywhere. But the place that he has that's not average is his takedown defense. So he's an average kickboxer with above average takedown defense. Like Brad Tavares' takedown defense, the way it's developed over the years, is disgusting. His balance is absolutely ridiculous. His get-up game has been getting a lot better. So you got to give him credit there. And also to be in the UFC as long as Brad Tavares has been in the UFC, I mean, you got to take into consideration Brad Tavares made his UFC debut in 2010. We're, we're in 2023 now, folks. So to have, you know, you know, to even make it 10 years, let alone 13, um, yeah, that, that says a lot about this guy's longevity in the sport. And, you know, now he is getting up there. He's 36 years old. But it's not that I've necessarily seen a big sign of a decline. It's more so that it's just it's oh, it's going to be the same Brad Tavares that we've seen for the last 10 years. It's like I said, he's an average kickboxer, good leg kicks, solid combinations, but very above average takedown defense. The thing is, Bruno Blindado doesn't really shoot much. He, and, you know, he did take down Pereira a little bit, but. He doesn't really shoot much. He's more known for he's kind of got an awkward striking style. Not maybe not as ugly as Drickus Duplessis, but he does have a common trait with Drickus where he's got ridiculous power. Um, he trains out of Evolucion Tai, you know, with with Master Andre Dita, you know, a guy responsible for Francisco Trinaldo, uh, responsible for Neto BJJ, Joaquin Silva. So they got a lot of killers at that camp, and they got a very unique style. They love to brawl. They love to knock people out. And Brad and uh, Bruno Blindado is a very experienced guy. You know, prior to to UFC, this guy was going over there in Russia and winning belts in Russia, and it wasn't like some you know some fraud Russians he was fighting. Like this dude was out here knocking out Alexander Slamenko in the first round. And if you've been following the sport as long as I have. You know damn well who Alexander Slamenko is. Um, and to knock a guy like that out in the first round, hey. And to prove it wasn't a fluke, his next fight, he took on a guy named Artem Frolov. Not Artem Lobov, Artem Frolov, who um, you know, was 11-0 at the time. And they had a war, man, you know, and it got to the fourth round. And eventually you saw that devastating ground and pound by Bruno Silva was able to get him out there and punch his ticket to the UFC. And then he was supposed to make his UFC debut against Duran Wynn. And I thought he was going to mop the floor. I thought he was going to destroy Duran. I thought he, I thought it was going to be like a double max bet. But unfortunately, he popped. So it ended up being Duran Wynn versus Eric Spicely. It was on the same car that uh, Korean Zombie fought Hinato Moikano. And 
And I wanted to go big on Bruno Silva against Duran Wynn. But so he takes his, you know, he takes his licks, he takes his time off, and he comes back and, you know, riles off three disgusting knockouts uh, to start off his UFC career. And then he had an absolute war with Pereira where the first two rounds were very competitive back and forth. Um, he was going toe to toe with Pereira. The third round, that's when Pereira clearly got the third round, but the first two rounds were competitive as hell. So his first four UFC fights, I thought he looked super impressive. Um, it's just, you know, his last fight against Gerald Mershart, um, you know, I don't want to discredit Mershart because he's known for having, you know, from time to time, he'll upset a young prospect like he did to Mahmoud Muradov, like he did to Bruno Blindado. Um, but I kind of think it was an off night, man. And I mean, the reason I think that is, so we have a five fight sample size of Bruno Blindado in the UFC. And he's only looked like shit one time. And it was that GM three fight. And I mean, it wasn't even just like him looking slow out there. Like his body looked different. It was like, did he get food poisoning the night before? Was he thinking to himself like, bro, like I just went toe to toe with Alex Pereira. The fuck is GM three going to do to me? Did he underestimate him? I don't know. And again, I don't want to take away from GM three. Cause he's a, you know, he's a long time vet of the game and a very savvy guy, but I want to give Bruno another chance because that fight wasn't really indicative of the performances I saw from Bruno leading into that, you know, that, that, that wasn't the Bruno I know. And, you know, one thing I learned last week, like with Zell Huber is sometimes it's okay to give these guys a second chance. Like we're all human and people can have off nights. And, um, now if Bruno does it again, <laughs> okay, then moving forward, then we're like, all right, maybe he's just not the guy we thought he was, but I'm willing to give him that second chance. Kind of the way I see this fight going is that, you know, look, the leg kicks are going to be there for Brad Tavares. He still has some sharp counters, doesn't necessarily have the most power. Um, but one thing I think Bruno can capitalize on is Brad Tavares. He kind of backs up in a straight line. And that's where I think Bruno can kind of get off on some unorthodox blitzes, kind of like Drickas did to Brad. And I also have always questioned the, the chin of Brad Tavares and, you know, Okay, yeah. Did Robert Whitaker knock him out? Sure, but so did Tim Bosch. Um, so did uh who was the other guy that knocked out Brad Tavares? Um oh Edmund Shabazian. Yeah, and and back to the Edmund Shabazian fight. That was immediately after the Izzy fight, where man, Brad took a fucking whooping in that fight. A whooping whooping. <laughs> like it was bad and i just don't feel like he's looked the same since i know he's won a couple fights but what were those fights antonio carlos jr zero threat standing and we know that brad tavares has insane takedown defense so that was a really good matchup for brad tavares and then the next fight with omari look omari swings some bungalows but we know omari is a habitual gasser and that was still a very low volume fight brad was kind of able to get him on volume there Whereas I think if Bruno's at his best, I think he's going to be coming after Brad all three rounds. So, you know, I, I also think that if the, if we were just coming off the Pereira loss, that this would either be minus 110 apiece or possibly even minus 150 Bruno Silva. So when I cap it like that, I, I had to take the plus 155 odds on, on Bruno. And let's see, you know, it's no disrespect to Brad. Like I said, if you've been around the UFC as long as this guy has, you can't help but tip your cap to a guy like that, a true seasoned vet. And he's always had the same style. Like I said, just a solid kickboxer with above average takedown defense. So um, I think that there's, you know, 
you know, Brad's going to land some shit too. You, you got to accept that. But I think that Bruno Silva is going to land the more impactful shots and possibly get a knockout along the way. So this was one I was willing to roll the dice on. So I took two units at plus 155 on Bruno Blindado Silva, and I think he's getting back on track Saturday. Featured bout in the lightweight division, we got Bobby King Green. He's 29 and 14, taking on Jared Flash Gordon, who is 19 and 6. Currently, they got it. Bobby Green, minus 275. The comeback on Jared is plus 220. So what's interesting about this fight um, is that you know, Bobby Green, look, he's much faster than Jared Gordon. His hands are a lot cleaner than Jared Gordon. But Bobby Green doesn't always fight how you want him to fight, right? And, and my my evidence of that is look at all those split decisions he lost where it was like, dude, like, I felt like he could have he won some of those fights. Whether it was the Drakkar close fight, whether it was against the legend Masuranduba Trinaldo, even the Tiago Moises fight, like, just a little more effort even the draw he had with lando like like a little more effort a little bit less fucking around and i think he can win all those fights man and the thing about it is when you have to lay close to minus 300 on bobby green and you don't know if you can trust him to fight how you want him to fight not to mention he's coming off two brutal knockout losses man i mean i get to one was to the champ no doubt but like he still took damage. And then the last one against Dober, yes, he was lighting up Dober early, but man, he got slept, slept. And now, you know, he's about to be 37 years of old, coming off two knockout losses, and, and we're expected to lay minus 300 here. Uh, the thing about it, like I said, Bobby Green should win this fight because he's much faster. He's much, like his hands are so much cleaner. His takedown defense has always been on point. It's just that Bobby Green doesn't always fight like you want Bobby Green to fight. He fucks around a lot. And the thing about Jared, look, Jared's going to be the slower guy, no questions asked. But Jared fights at a high pace, man. Jared does push that pace. Jared can land those opportunistic takedowns at the end of rounds to kind of steal them off. So while there's definitely a speed disadvantage for Jared, no questions asked, um, I thought there was a speed disadvantage for Drakkar Close against Bobby Green. I felt like. Masaranduba Trinado is slower than Bobby Green. I feel like uh, Lando Venata is slower than Bobby Green. I feel like a lot of these guys are slower than Bobby Green. It's just that, you know, Bobby Green, if I'm going to lay chalk on him, it's going to be, you know, under minus 200 against Nazrat, where I know for a fact that he can double or triple him up on strikes, right? Um, whereas I'm not convinced that's the case here because Jared is one of those guys where, like, it looks ugly when you watch the tape on it, but he'll surprise you sometimes with the pace he pushes. And if Bobby's thinking retirement, which I heard he is, again, you guys got to consider Bobby Green is like about to be 37, man. He's coming off knockout losses. He's known for not fighting to the best of his abilities. Like if you had the controller with Bobby Green, then we'd max bet Bobby Green here. But we don't have the controller. We don't know what's going through his head. Um, and and quite frankly, I can't trust him at this price. So I'm going to pick him because historically speaking, he should win this fight. But to lay that price, I need to know that you're not going to fuck around. And I don't know that he's not going to fuck around because his style is fucking around. His style is hands down. Talk to your opponent. You get hit, but you act like, you know, you, you brush off your shoulders, act like nothing happened. And then, uh, you know, and then you coast a little bit and then he ends up losing all these close split decisions. And it's been a it's been happening for years, man. So I would not be surprised at all to see Jared Gordon come out here 
and win a controversial split. My pick will be Bobby because I think if it's both of their best nights, Bobby is the better guy here. But no, I just don't I just don't trust Bobby at that price, period, point blank. So it's a pass for me, but it's a dog or pass situation. But I will pick Bobby Green. Because like I said, on his best night, I think he beats this guy. But will this be his best night coming off two brutal knockouts? Almost 37, talking about retirement. Not convinced. So I'm all good on that. Next up in the flyweight division, we got the return of Yasmin Lucino. She's 13 and five, taking on Brogan Walker, who's seven and three. What a name, right? Currently, they got it. Yasmin Lucindo minus 350. The comeback on Brogan Walker is plus 275. So, another spot where, yeah, I favor Lucindo. It's just, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with a, <laughs> with a minus 350 here? Like, I'm good on that. She needs to be a little bit more proven to me for me to lay a price like that. And don't get me wrong, her fight with Yasmin Yaragui, amazing fight. I mean, that would have been fight of the night on that card had Nate Landwehr and David Onama not been on the same card. Um, and it was cool to see her have that kind of volume standing when kind of on the regional scene. Um, you know, she was, you know, finishing people early. She was getting submissions. She she was even dropping people. She's got some good knockouts on her record, so she was doing her thing. Um, but it was cool to see her go three hard rounds with a legit prospect in Yaragui and put up a spirited effort. And you also got to take into consideration this chick is only 21 years old. She's just a kid. So you're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time. And for her to already have 18 pro fights under her belt at such a young age, um, I'm excited to see what she does. And with Brogan Walker, I think, you know, her best days are kind of behind her. You know, she actually beat Miranda Maverick uh, back in the day, but that was 2018. You got to consider Miranda Maverick was only three and zero at the time. Miranda Maverick was super green. If they ever ran it back, you guys know exactly what would happen. She's also experienced. She's been in there with Aaron Blanchfield. Now, Aaron Blanchfield mopped the floor with her, but she'll, she's been in there with, with her. So, look, this chick's got some experience, but it, the thing about it is when you're getting smashed by Juliana Miller, who's a 2-1 and one fighter and not now a 2-2 two and two fighter because <laughs> you saw what Macedo did to her, or actually 3-2 and two, rather, excuse me. Um, yeah, I don't care if it was your worst day. I don't care if you were sick the night before, like – on your worst day, you should be able to beat Juliana Miller. And that was a huge red flag that it just ain't going to pan out for Brogan Walker in the UFC, in my opinion. No disrespect. That's just how I feel. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the pick is obviously Yasmin Lucindo here. It's just, are you comfortable laying a price like that? Like, sometimes people overrate losses. Like, she looked good in a loss. Don't get me wrong. And I think this is a good bounce back spot. It's just the price sucks. So, I'm good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm good on that price. Uh, but yeah, my pick is Yasmin Lucindo. I think the ceiling is higher for her. And let's see how she handles this. Now, kicking off the main card in the welterweight division, we got Jeremiah Wells. He's 11 and 2, taking on Matt Semi the Jedi Semmelsberger, who is 11 and 4. Currently, they got it. Jeremiah Wells, minus 115. Comeback on Matt Semmelsberger is minus 105. So. I like this fight a lot because this is kind of one of those where, you know, both guys have been doing their thing in the UFC and, and now it's kind of time to see which one of these prospects is going to move up to, you know, to the top 20, then win a fight in the top 20, then potentially get to the top 15. I say prospects. Wells is 36 years old, but, but he's a young 36 years old. You know, I don't really see any signs of him, um, you know, on a decline or anything like that, but, 
that being said, you know, father time catches up with you when you least expect it. I don't expect that to be the case here, but I'm just saying it's something to note. You know, you, you have to bring up that he's 36, but you also have to bring up he's not a 36-year-old with a lot of miles on his body. He's not a 36-year-old that's been knocked out a bunch of times and is coming back for his last hurrah. Like, I, I think that, you know, he does have aspirations to make it to the top 15. And the guy is extremely explosive. Um, before I talk about his skills, I want to clear a misconception because I hear people talking about how, you know, oh, the Philly guys and Jeremiah Wells, he trains with Sean Brady and Joe Pye. Like, guys, he does not train with Sean Brady, okay? Like, they might be at the same gym at different times. They may have trained together a couple times, but they are not main training partners at all. So people need to stop that bullshit narrative because they want to hype up these Philly guys, which great. The Philly guys have been doing well, but don't sit here and be like, oh, and Jeremiah Wells is training with Sean Brady. He's training with Joe Pfeiffer. It's like, guys, those, they, those guys don't even train together. Like, yeah, they'll maybe see each other and nod at the gym. And, you know, it might be acquaintances, maybe train together a couple times, but these guys are not main training partners. The people that Jeremiah Wells has brought into this camp, I actually liked what I heard. He's brought in some tall guys to mimic Matthew because Matthew Semmelsberger is a very tall guy for the weight class. So Jeremiah Wells actually brought in Randy Brown, who I think is a great look um, for this uh, for this fight. And uh, Jeremiah Wells, super explosive, man. It has to fight in bursts because you guys know the deal. You're, you're driving 100 miles per hour on, on the highway. I mean, you think that your gas tank is just going to go up or you think it's going to go down if you're going 100 miles per hour? Of course it's going to go down. So he has to fight in bursts. And he also has um, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Daniel Gracie, which is something you absolutely have to respect. And that's actually what I'd be more worried about here. Um, if I were to pick Jeremiah, um, if I were to pick uh, Semmelsberger, I'd be more worried about Jeremiah Wells kind of surprising him with that black belt. But on the feet, you know, yeah, maybe there's a chance Jeremiah can bomb on him, but man, I think that the range of uh, Matthew Semmelsberger is something that is going to be an issue here. You know, six one versus five nine. Now, granted, the reach differences aren't that that far off. You know, Semmelsberger's only got a one inch reach advantage over him in the spot, um, but Semmelsberger's a guy to me that's been he's been improving a lot, man. I mean, like when he came into the UFC super green got a couple layup fights but every time he's been giving a step up in competition like i know he lost to chaos and to and to murano but like he showed he i thought he fought well in both those fights and i felt like it was one of those things where you keep giving this guy more experience you keep testing him and he's gonna be showing improvements like so you go from the chaos fight you know and then he beat a couple you know kind of lower level guys and he gets the murano fight and he's down two rounds and goes in there and drops Morano in that third round. Like, like the guy will go for it. Um, he's been getting a lot better about his get-up game, which might have been kind of an issue early on in his career. And then the Jake Matthews fight, I mean, he went out there and dropped him every single round. And that was Jake Matthews coming off the Fialio performance where people were singing Jake's praises. People were saying that was Jake Matthews 2.0. Well, Matthew Semmelsberger mopped the floor with Jake Matthews 2.0. Um, so here with, with the Jeremiah Wells fight, it's very, very intriguing. My biggest concern is the black belt of Jeremiah Wells. I think it's an underrated. I think he's underrated on the map for sure. But if you go back to Jeremiah Wells' regional fights and you watch that fight he had that went five rounds when he wasn't able to close the distance on that guy, when he wasn't able to badly compromise him, he kind of gets into this mode where he just kind of circles and stares and like that is not good. And I just don't feel like in the UFC we've had enough sample size to really see what happens when these fights get extended because like 
when you're in there with Court McGee, you know, who is 85 years old, no disrespect to, to you know, true vet of the sport, but like, look, he launched him into outer space, but the speed difference between the two was night and day, man. Court's on his way out. Whereas, I, I, I mean, if he comes out here and just starches Semmelsberger, then hey, that, that'll be impressive. But Semmelsberger doesn't have the wear and tear of a, of a Warley Alves. Semmelsberger doesn't have the wear and tear. Uh, of a court McGee. Semmelsberger doesn't have like one pro fight, like blood fraud diamond. You know what I'm saying? So this is actually the toughest opponent. Jeremiah Wells has fought inside the octagon. Um, but I think that Matthew Semmelsberger has been getting his experience in, you know, the Jake Matthews fight, the chaos fight, the Murano fight. And even the Fletcher fight was a tough fight. And I, I do see these incremental improvements and I see why it's a pick em. But I kind of lean a little bit towards Semmelsberger here. I think that he's going to have more volume. I think that as long as, you know, nothing badly compromises him, I think that he can just kind of pick apart Jeremiah Wells. Um, he's got to be careful, of course. This guy is ridiculously explosive, hits incredibly hard. Um, and also, Jeremiah Wells has to make it happen now because he's 36 years old. Like, you got to make your run right now. So I'm grateful to Jeremiah for cashing that that money. Uh, it was like plus 105 against you know ancient Court McGee. That was beautiful, but um, I don't think that Matthew Semmelsberger is anywhere near as shop warm or as slow as Court McGee. And not to mention he's taller, he's rangier. Um, I'm going. I'm going Matthew Semmelsberger to hand Jeremiah Wells his first UFC defeat. Now. Next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Ricky Glenn. He's 22 and six, taking on Christos Giagos, who's 19 and 10. Currently, they got it. Ricky Glenn minus 165. The comeback on Christos Giagos is plus 135. It actually opened minus 225 for uh, Ricky Glenn, which is interesting. Um, this is one of those fights where it's like, I'll be honest with you guys. Well, I'm always honest with you guys. I've never been the biggest Christos Giagos fan, uh, not fan, um, believer, you know, in terms of his skills, like long term, you know, I think his output is incredibly low. Um, he is a physical guy <clears throat> and early on in fights, you know, he can land some big shots, can land some takedowns. He's experienced. He's been around the block. Um, even surprised me big time in that Demir Hadzovic fight where he landed six takedowns. So that, that was cool to see for him. But I just think that, you know, he's maybe reached his ceiling a little bit. And not that Ricky Glenn. Look, at Ricky Glenn is definitely a vet of the game and has had some great moments along the way. Um, but Ricky Glenn, you know, he's definitely there to be hit. Um, his takedown defense has gotten better. I say that he got taken down three times his last fight, but compared to back in the day, it's it's gotten better. Like if you used to watch him, what was it the the Lance Palmer fight back in the day, like in World Series of Fighting before they before they were called PFL? So so he's been getting better and he's a true gritty vet. I kind of just see the output being a little bit higher for for Ricky Glenn here, but I, but I see this being an honest three round scrap between two vets, man. You know, um, Christos probably lands a couple takedowns, maybe lands a couple hard shots, and you know Ricky Glenn gets off on more volume. Um, yeah, it's a it's a close fight. I'm going to lean Ricky Glenn. Historically speaking, I've been more impressed with him. Not interested in betting it. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Ronnie Yaya. He's 28 and 10, taking on Montel Jackson, who's 12 and 2. Currently, they got it. 
Montel Jackson minus five fifty. The comeback on the Ronnie Yaya's plus three ninety. Uh, y'all have heard me talk about Montel Jackson a lot. Uh, the thing with Montel is this, man. I mean, like he's literally like one of the best talents we've ever seen in the sport. Like the physical advantage that this guy brings to the table for bantamweight is absolutely ridiculous, man. I mean, the guy says he's 5'10". I think he's like six feet or six foot one. He's got a 75-inch reach. He's a southpaw. Um, he averages a ridiculous amount of takedowns per fight. He doesn't get hit much. You guys right know his hands are bigger than Engano. He set the record for most knockdowns in uh, bantamweight history against J.P. Byers. Now, how he didn't finish J.P. Byers, I don't know. Shout out to my boy Cody Durden that got J.P. Byers out of there quicker than any of these guys. Um, but like Montel Jackson will land four knockdowns in that fight and also land four takedowns in that fight. Like he's landed 11 takedowns against Felipe Colares before. So, I mean, the guy is a very special talent. It's just about like, you know, is he out here drinking forties on the block or is he out here getting it together? And I heard that he actually did a little training at Rufus sport. So he got out of his comfort zone a little bit. So I like to hear that. Um, and like at what point is this kid gonna have his breakout performance because like i've been waiting for it since his ufc debut in 2018 now we're in 2023 and it still hasn't happened um and they give him so many opportunities man but here with ronnie yaya ronnie's got insane jujitsu i've been watching this guy since the wec like since 2007 i'm a massive fan you know i love my jujitsu guys and let me just say this. JP buys full mounted uh, Montel Jackson literally like less than a minute into the fight. So if he can do that, I know Ronnie can do that. It's just the longer this fight goes, that's when you're going to see Ronnie start to gas a little bit. That's when Ronnie is going to, you know, he's going to flop to his back and tell Montel to come into his guard. The Montel is going to make him get back up. The crowd's going to boo a little bit. Hopefully for Montel's sake, he can get him out of there at some point, but I've been wanting to see Montel get a lot of these guys out of there, and he just doesn't do it. It's like he'll drop these guys, like, but he just won't. He like he's landed five knockdowns in his last two fights, and he didn't finish either guy. Um, even in fights he's he's lost, like against Brett Johns, knocked him down easily in the first round, and then just let his foot off the <laughs> the pedal. I don't know what happened. Chase Hooper was able to TKO Felipe Collage, but Montel Jackson didn't. Montel Jackson beat his ass, but he still didn't get him out of there. So I'm kind of surprised. Like, I don't want to question his killer instinct. It's just maybe the lack of urgency. I don't know. Because the guy is so damn talented. It's just you want to see him finally put it together. Um, and Ronnie, all respect. You're a legend. But I got to imagine Ronnie is, you know, one or two fights away from retirement. And if Ronnie can't get that early sub, um, Montel could, you know, beat his ass, to put it lightly. So, yeah, I'll go Montel Jackson here. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Carol Hosa. She's 16-4, taking on Norma Dumont, who's 8-2. Currently, they got it. Norma Dumont, minus 115. The comeback on Carol Hosa is minus 105, so a little housekeeping. An open minus 225, Carol Hosa. A lot of action came in on Norma. And also, Carol Hosa is moving up to featherweight for this fight. Um, I like Carol Hosa here, man. I've always liked Carol Hosa because one thing that stands out about her is she puts up ridiculous volume for the women's divisions. In her debut, she landed a knockdown. She landed 171 significant strikes. Her next fight, 120 significant strikes. Against Bechko Hea, 125 significant strikes. 
And against Jocelyn Edwards, who's actually like a, a pretty decent striker, Carl Hosa, you know, mixed things up and landed four takedowns in that fight. Now, I know the Sarah McMahon fight didn't go her way. At least the first two rounds didn't. But, you know, Sarah McMahon's an Olympic wrestler, silver medalist, something that Norma isn't. Um, and also, I, I thought that in that third round, Carl Rosa responded really well, just, you know, too little, too late kind of thing. Um, but Norma Dumont, you know, she's got some great assets, if you know what I mean. But, like, she to me, she's just kind of just solid, nothing special, right? Like, and, I mean, she lost to Megan Anderson and Macy Chauzon, so that should let you know that she's average, man. Her last fight against Daniel Wolf, who's a 1-0 fighter, like, like, come on son she beat aspen lad in one of the worst fights i've ever fucking seen in my life she beat ashley evan smith and felicia spencer and the numbers are not standing out they're not impressive um i got carl hosa here and i'm considering a bet like i get yeah maybe people think that norma has size on her i don't think so like if you look at i bet you when they mat when they go face to face carl might actually look like the bigger fighter here and hopefully she's riding off the momentum of her girlfriend, uh, Denise Gomes, amazing performance last week. And yeah, I just think that like Carl Hosa can double up Norma Dumont on output. I don't think that Norma is going to be able to take her down easily. Like just because a silver medalist took you down does not mean Norma Dumont's going to take you down. So I see Carl Hosa just being the better fighter here. And for that reason, I'm going to pick her and possibly better. Cause like, I don't really line it a 50, 50 fight. I kind of see it maybe, 60 40 uh for carol and it's minus 105 so i kind of feel like you know I, I have to go in there and uh go in there and take my chances so yeah i, I got carol hosa here just double up or double her up on volume stuff her shots and win this decision now next up in the heavyweight division we got muhammad uzman he's eight and two taking on junior taffa who's four and oh currently they got it Junior Taffa minus 115. The comeback on Muhammad Uzman's minus 105. This one opened. Oh, it actually opened. It says here it opened minus 120. Uzman plus 100 Taffa, but I swear Taffa was like a minus 200 favorite at one point, and a huge action came in on Uzman. Some sharps that I respect came in on Uzman and, and steamed this down. I've been familiar with Uzman a long time. You know, he actually fought um, NFC heavyweight champion. Um, Brandon Sales and Brandon Sales was able to ground and pound this dude out. Um, so you know, so just to put it bluntly, Mohamed Uzman's not good enough to win the NFC belt. He lost to our champ. Um, but yeah, he has been getting better. But like, man, that fight against Zach Puaga, he was getting tagged up on, until he landed the Hail Mary. And then with Junior Taffa, he's still kind of trying to get used to transitioning from you know the glory style with the big gloves and fighting in a ring to you know into mma now and like kind of like with his brother justin taffa you know they you know their regional scene wasn't quite the prettiest but they kind of have that like mark hunt style huge left hooks big elbows off the break nasty leg kicks i mean these samoans man they're made out of steel um i guess the path for uzman is definitely that wrestling but his wrestling this ain't his brother let's just get that out the way and i've seen mohammed uh like i said Brandon Sales, uh, UFC, excuse me, NFC heavyweight champ, choked him out. So it's not like Mohamed Usman, some stud on the mat either. But I'd say that, you know, Usman does have at least better wrestling than Tafa. Um, and Tafa could pull a stunt in his debut. I'm not sure. Let's flip a coin. 
We'll go heads for Usman. We'll go tails for Tafa. Damn. I wanted I wanted it to be Tafa, but unfortunately we landed on, on heads. So we're gonna go Usman here. But uh I think there's a chance Tafa sleeps him, but we'll see. Next up in the featherweight division, and everybody, do me a huge favor. Smash the like button for me. Hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. And after this is over, please leave me a comment. Um, and feel free to share and all that. Truly grateful for all you guys. Thank you so much. So next up in the featherweight division, we got a prospect showdown between Francis Marshall. He's 7-0, taking on William Gomes, who's 11-2. Currently, they got a... Francis Marshall minus 205. William Gomi is plus 175. Um, yeah, so I started off watching Marshall, right? And I thought to myself, he's talented, but he's very green. You know, I like that on Contender Series. He went out there and did something I like, which not only did he land 110 significant strikes, also landed six takedowns. So that was, for a guy who was only like 6-0 and at the time, hey, you love to see it. Those are beautiful numbers. Then the next fight against Marcelo Rojo. You know, Marcelo might be 0-3 in the UFC, but Marcelo, like, fucking fought Charles Jordan in his debut, fought Kyler Phillips in his subsequent fight, and then fought uh, Francis Marshall. And Francis Marshall got him out of there quicker than both those guys. So that was pretty cool to see. And Francis Marshall, you know, he does have a wrestling background, um, but it, but he also has kind of boxing for MMA. But the thing about it is, you know, he's very open to being hit because I think that when you're used to training boxing with the big gloves, it's kind of easier to dodge those punches, whereas I think he's kind of still getting used to boxing with the little gloves. But the combinations are nice. It's just, you know, as he progresses and moves up the ranks, he's going to have to tighten up his defense a little bit. Um, but luckily for him, he still has a great chin, and he's taking on another kind of inexperienced guy in William Gomes. And look, William Gomes is definitely an athletic guy. He's definitely a physical guy, but man, so I told y'all I watched Francis th coming out thinking, look, he's talented, but he's green. But then when I watched Gomes, bro, I was not impressed at all. And I'll tell you why. I cannot stand these guys that don't push a pace, that fight with such low output. I mean, in a three-round fight, guys, William Gomes only landed 32 significant strikes. And he was up there against a Dutch kickboxer that's got no ground game. And the Dutch kickboxer locked up a triangle on him in that third round, reversed positions on him, got back up from his takedowns. And then on the feet, man, William Gomes isn't fighting behind jabs. William Gomes, you know, he'll throw some kind of has like this weird, I don't know if it's a karate style or like a Sanda style or whatever, stands from that, um, from that southpaw stance, you know, does nothing, chills, chills, chills. And then we'll throw like a flying kick or like we'll throw an occasional kick and has a decent body lock. But I think it's going to be a lot harder to take down an American wrestler and Francis Marshall than it is to take down some dude from the Netherlands who's probably wrestled twice in his life. Right. So, yeah. I, so, like I said, after the Marshall tape, I was like, man, he's green. A much better seasoned guy is definitely going to be able to show this kid a lesson. But Gomi, I watched him. I was like, oh, my God, like there's no output whatsoever. Um, there's like not really much process in his game. He's just big, he's physical, and he's athletic. And that's about it. So this is a really good matchup for Francis Marshall as far as I'm concerned. I think he's going to double him up on strikes. I think I think that if he happens to get taken down or overpowered, I think he can get back up. I think he can land takedowns of his own. 
So I just think he's the much better prospect here. I was actually blown away by how unblown away I was by William Gomez because, like, I saw the plus 170 thinking Francis is green. Oh, man, this might be a good dog spot. And then I watched Gomez. I was like, uh, your output is trash. Like, his output is awful. Like I said, I just don't like his process. I think he's got a lot of – both guys got a lot of work and cleaning up to do. But Gomez has got a lot more. I just don't see it panning out long term. So for that reason, I got Francis Marshall to come out here. Like I said, look, there's always a chance that you know Gomez. He's athletic. He throws big kicks and this and that. But he but it, you'll you'll have to wait every two minutes for him to actually throw something. Right? His output is insanely low. It's 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 so bad his output. And you know I love to to pick against guys with low output when, when we have, you know, someone who has proven to me that in the same fight that Francis Marshall went out there and landed six takedowns, he also landed 110 significant strikes. So yeah. Um, I, uh, I got Francis Marshall here, man. Yeah. I, I, I think he, I think he outworks William Gomez. William Gomez work rate sucks. You know, um, maybe he can change it up or maybe he can catch him with something big. But if that doesn't happen, man, Francis Marshall, his process, his technique, I just think he's way better. So I got Francis Marshall. Now, this next one is the toughest one for me to call on the card. In the flyweight division, we got Priscilla Cachoeira. She's 12 and 4, taking on Karini Silva, who's 15 and 4. Um, currently, they got it. Uh, Karini minus 200. The comeback on, on Priscilla is plus 165. So it's tough because it's like, is this price tag warranted on Karini Silva? Her output, I mean, Cachoeira's got her on double the output of of Karini Silva. Um, it's just that Cachoeira also gets hit a ridiculous amount of times. That hasn't changed, but to, to her credit, you know, Priscilla Cachoeira hits very hard uh, for the standards of this weight class. So I'm curious to see if she's going to be able to stuff some of these takedowns uh, from Karina Silva, if Karina Silva even goes for them. Karina, Karina had a nice darts choke on uh, on her UFC debut. She had a nice guillotine on her contender series fight. Y'all know I'm a sucker for the front headlock series, the Darces, the guillotines, the anacondas. Check out my, my technique of the week. I post every Friday. You know, the first two weeks I did Darce and Anaconda, so I got a soft spot for it. But the jury's out on Karini, man. Um, and I feel like if I'm going to pick Priscilla at this at these odds, I have to better. It's just I know that once she loses fights, she looks absolutely atrocious. So it's kind of like one of those where it's like I lean the underdog, but I almost have issues betting it because we still don't know enough about Karini. She could be making big improvements and she could actually like Dana was really high on her uh, when he was talking about her. And I, and I do respect his opinion on these prospects. Like nine times out of 10, he tends to know what he's looking at. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Let's flip a coin. Uh, heads, Priscilla tails, Karini tails. So we're going to go with Karini Silva here for the win. And last, and last but not least, hold on. Last but not least, we got Dana Batgeri. He's twelve and four, taking on Brady Heastan, who's six and two. Currently, they got it. 
Dana Batgeri minus one forty five. The comeback on Brady Houston is plus one twenty. Um, yeah. So here, here's my thing with this fight, man. I'm not quite sold on Brady Houston being ready for this level. Um, I think that you know he's a relentless wrestler. Um, I don't even know his wrestling credentials, but at least as far as MMA is concerned, the fights I've seen, you know, six takedowns against Ricky, three takedowns against Fernie. So, you know, you love to see it, man. Um, but, man, I mean, like, a couple fights ago, we got knocked out by Chad and Hellinger. Well, you know, uh, first round, you know, went a certain way, but as soon as we got to the second round and the takedowns weren't working anymore, this guy got knocked out by Chad and Hellinger. This guy lost to Ricky Tercios. In the Fernie Garcia fight, not only did Fernie land a takedown on on Brady, but Fernie also rocked Brady at one point in that fight. So basically, I don't want to disrespect Brady. I just kind of think that he might be a little bit too green to be fighting in the UFC right now. And the thing with Dana Badgeri is this guy's been paying his dues, man. I mean, these last two fights he had, he had a very, very close fight with Kyung Ho Kang, who's been a staple of the division a long time. I mean, Kyung Ho Kang made his UFC debut in 2013. This guy's been in the UFC, you know, 10 years. Um, and they had a very close spirited battle. And the the Chris Gutierrez fight, I mean, Dana won the first round. He got caught with a spin. You know, that's something that's not gonna happen here against against Brady Houston. And the the Brandon Davis fight, Brandon Davis is a guy that banged with Zabit. Brandon Davis is a guy that usually bangs with everyone. Y'all, y'all should have seen the faces Brandon Davis was making when he got hit by Dana. He it was like in Russia. I was like, which one of y'all hit me with that? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the look these guys give on their faces when Dana Bakary cracks them. And I think Brady Heastan's going to be no different. And you can go back to uh, Dana's UFC debut against um, Alatang Haile, where he got taken out three times. Now, granted, that was in 2019. We're in 2023 now. Not only has he improved since then, but I want to say this. Now he's training with Alatang Haile. And also, to take it a step further, he's training with the guys that fight ready. Well, I think is a great gym. So he's got looks like Henry Cejudo, you know, to help him with his, with his wrestling. Um, my boy Brandon Olivas is there. Coach Santino, like they got some really good looks in that gym. Um, so yeah, obviously there's a path to Brady. Like if Brady and Dana put on the singlet, then you know, you know Brady's gonna out wrestle him. But you can't throw punches with the singlet on. You can't throw knees. You can't throw elbows. Um, I think Dana might come out here and touch this guy up and get back on track. You know, maybe take, maybe get taken down early. But as the fight progresses, I think that Dana's going to find a home for that bomb. And when he does, uh, it's going to it's going to be some melatonin. It's going to be some Nyquil. So I got Dana back here getting back on track here. So we flew by these, man. So I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and then after that, uh, just leave me any questions that you'd like me to answer. And I'll be happy to do so. So the fight to watch. I mean, I think the fight to watch is Jeremiah Wells versus Matt Semmelsberger. You know, both these guys have been super impressive prospects. And I say prospect about a 36-year-old, but he's he's young 36. He's not, doesn't look like, you know, he's taking too much, you know, uh, wear and tear, this or that. He seems like, you know, if he's going to make a run, it has to be right now, right? 
And then Matt Semmelsberger, a guy who's been thrown to the wolves. I'm not talking about, you know, Martin Sano or Jason Witt. I'm talking about fucking Chaos Williams. I'm talking about Murano. I'm talking about Jake Matthews. Like that early into his career. And it's sink or swim in those spots. And he, he's been he's been swimming, man. So I love to see it. So this is a huge fight in the welterweight division in terms of, you know, emerging prospects or rising contenders, whatever you want to call them. And the winner of this fight is going to get that that top 20 fight next and then possibly get to the top 15 next. So for that reason, Jeremiah Wells uh, versus Matt Semmelsberger is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is going to be Bruno Blindado Silva. Listen, man, coming into the UFC, this guy was a champion in Russia, knocked out serious Russian, knocked out his first three UFC opponents, goes to a spirited three-round battle with with the former the now former champ um alex pereira um and his stock was at an all-time high and then he just had that one bad performance against gm3 and now he's an underdog in a fight where he would have at least at the at the least been a pick him if not a slight favorite um against a staple of the ufc and brad tavares uh i think bruno is one of the most exciting knockout artists in the division um and he's my fire to watch because i want to see if he gets back on track and I want to see that Mershart fight was really just an off night or not. So for that reason, Bruno Blindado is my fighter to watch. Cool. So we did it. It's going down Saturday night live at the Apex. Make sure you all smash that like button for me. Hit the subscribe button. Leave me a comment afterwards. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you all again soon. But uh, for now, I'm going to answer I'm gonna answer y'all's questions. See what y'all got for me. Um. Armchair says Semmelsberger is a guy to fade this week for me. Tell me why. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I agree, but I'm curious to hear your reasoning. Um, Dominic asked me over the COVID. I'm over in terms of like, I'm not sick anymore. I don't have a fever. I don't have body aches, but like my fucking breathing is like taking a hit. Like today at grappling, today at jujitsu, I went with this fucking wrestler, man. And like, bro, like, by the time there was like a minute 30 left on the clock, I was like looking at the clock every 15 seconds. I was like, fuck, when's this round going to end? You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> so yeah, just, you know, slight breathing issues. Um, my lungs kind of feel the thing about COVID. Cause you know, people were, when I said I had COVID, people were like, Oh, you're going to cry about having the sniffles. Like, like, fuck you, man. If I just had the sniffles, I wouldn't give a shit. It's not about sniffles. It's not about fever. It's about what it does to your lungs, right? It kind of feels like your lungs are super heavy and it's like hard to breathe. It's hard to catch that one good breath. That's kind of where it fucks me up. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about no sniffles. Are you kidding me, bro? Um, I can deal with that. But yeah, it's just the breathing part, you know, feeling lightheaded from time to time. So I'm getting over it. I'm, I'm, big step in the right direction also shout out to my buddy uh john kelly you know his wife is going through it too um so you know we send our positive positive energy to them for sure um who is my lock of the night um there's no locks of the nights bro when you talk about locks of the nights you talk about scams and i ain't in the scamming business now who am i gonna bet on i bet on bruno plus 155 i'm going to probably bet Semmelsberger, and i'm gonna prom probably bet carl hosa but none of them are locks man you gotta that's why you gotta exercise proper money management discipline and only bet it if you truly feel like 
You know, you're getting an edge over the line. It doesn't matter what I say. I'm not right all the time. It matters what you think. I'm not the one placing the bet for you. You're not the one placing the bet for me. So um, at the end of the day, you got to do your due, your due diligence. Um, so there's never a, a lock of the night. Um, there's a fraud of the night. And y'all, you know, hopefully y'all are done with that bullshit. But you know what I'm saying? It's crazy, the audacity, man. And if y'all knew some of the other stuff, oh, my God. Anyways. Big Bird said, hey, Dan, do you know Philip? Uh, are you about to fill up these nuts on me, bro? Is that is that what this is? You think I didn't? Yeah, I'm from Atlanta, bro. I know these games. Um, let's, see, let's see what else y'all got for me. Um, Evan said, what you think about the overs and the Semmelsberger fight? Um, let's see what they are. So the over and the Semmelsberger fight see over under one and a half under is plus 145 yeah i'm not really not really interested in all that um yeah i'm good on that i'd rather just pick a side on that one if you feel like you have an edge you know and i think i might who knows i've <laughs> been wrong before will be wrong many times again um yeah, the quack says it feels like someone has a hand over your mouth and you're trying to breathe through it. Yeah, it's just it's really annoying, man. And people try to act like it's like a little common cold. Like, fuck off, man. That ain't no common cold, bro. Like, if I had a common cold, I wouldn't give a shit, bro. But like, when it affects like your everyday life, like that's when you know. And I'm not trying to fucking get sympathy or anything. Just trying to be honest and transparent about what's going on. Um, let's see. I'm gonna scroll up and see if you got anything for me at the top. My boy Lou, the connoisseur, says, smash that like button, fellas. Listen to him. Listen to him. Some of y'all think uh, Blades is getting slept. I understand he's been slept before, and the guy he's fighting sleeps people. <laughs> you know, What's good, Uncle Weezy? He says, what's good, Dan? I'm fired up for this card, solid top to bottom. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Taylor Ramey says, press the like button and give half the battle subscribe, ladies. Yes. Sure do. Um. Yeah, my boy Shark said, Curtis, shoot. You know, if you've been on Curtis, you're going to want him to be shooting all day. Creep said, Big Dan, happy Wednesday. Good luck on your bets. Thanks, man. Likewise, I appreciate it, my boy. Justin C. What Justin T. said, what up, Dan? Looking forward to the technique of the week. Hey, if y'all haven't checked out my new segment, every Friday, drop in the technique of the week. So the first week, we did the Darsh choke. Second week, we did the Anaconda choke. This Friday, we're going to do the Kimura from guard. I got a lot of great stuff planned for the next couple of weeks. So if uh, tap in Friday for my technique of the week. As soon as I get out of jujitsu class, I drop it. Um, my boy Creep said, "Oscar, the half to battle mascot, best mascot in the betting game." Who's here with me? Oh, what's up, Leo? Got got my boy Leo here. Leo, you want to come say what's up? Come here, come here, come here. Come 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 say what's up to the fans, man. This, you know, this is the guy right here. You know, we love dogs on this show. God. yeah this man this man is the fucking man like i can't say enough good things about german shepherds truly man's best friend you know i love most dogs i'd say i love all dogs i don't love all dogs i love most dogs but the reason that i stand by the german shepherd is to put it this way if you open your front door right now with some random ass dog that they're running off for the streets man they don't have loyalty if i open my front door right now leo's gonna look at me 
And he's going to be like, hey, bro, like, we going out? We staying in? Like, what's the deal? If I take him to the lake, like, and we're walking, like, he's always going to check behind just to make sure I'm right behind him. Like, it's just a different kind of loyalty, man. Like, they care about me. They, they'd, give their, they'd give their life for me. So it's just different, bro. Um, yeah, and have there been some incidents where shit's gone kind of sketchy when, you know, them trying to protect me? Yeah, so that, you know, because they are a powerful breed, man. They, they're no fucking joke, but the kind of love and just loyalty that they give their owners is just unlike anything I've ever experienced with any other dog, man. So, yeah, the German Shepherd, I'll always swear by them. Um, let me see what else y'all y'all got. Quag said Bruno is at plus one fifty five. No, no, he was when I bet him. Like, check on my Twitter just so you can see the timestamp. Um, but yeah, we moved that line, you know, so we did our job. Um, all right, let's see. Last call, last call for questions. Uh, <laughs> Lando said, or Lando said, coin flip makes sense for the ones that coin flipped. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Um, Dominic says, Francis Marshall got that dog in him. He sure does. He sure does. Yeah, he's a he's a young, solid, uh, talented prospect. Definitely is. Definitely is. Um, my guy said, who's the, who's the fighter to fade the sacrificial lamb? That's a good question it's tough to say on this card because like a lot of these lines are super wide like brogan walker ain't shit but you got to lay fucking minus 350 to fader um hanayaya much respected legend i love that guy but you got to lay minus 600 on montel so there's not um an evenly there's not like a nicely priced mismatch which is what we like to look for you know so there's no value we we uh we pass you know, we don't, we're not in the business of forcing bets. Rips and Picks said, what up, Dan and chat? Let's get some money. Let's do it. Armchair said, Dan isn't in the scam business. He's in the orange hoodie business. Hey, shout out to my boy, Bud Crush, hooking me up with this beautiful hoodie. Dude makes some fucking awesome stuff. Um, all right. Anything else? Will you watch the Tank versus Garcia fight? If so, who you got? Yeah, I'll watch it. Um, I don't know. I mean, Tank's ex short, explosive. Garcia, super fast, long. Uh, great fight. What are the odds on that? Um, Taylor said, as a lifelong hound owner who just got a guardian breed, guardian breeds are a special type. My new guy is badass. Love to hear it, man. Love to hear it. All right, guys. Thank you all so very much for everything, man. Um, truly, truly appreciate it. You know, the support y'all have shown me, not just this week, last week, but throughout the years, something I don't take for granted. So thank you. Seriously. Thank you. You know, you guys can always hit me up. My DMS are open. I'm always down to chat with anyone that supports me. Um, for sure. Like y'all, y'all got my back and just know that I got yours. Um, and I've been having fun with these contests. You know, we give out all those Cody Dern autographs and then someone had to guess how many significant strikes Max Holloway was going to land. Um, so I got him on a Magomed Inc. Live autograph that should be arriving to him soon. And I'm down to do some more of these uh, giveaways. Um, I have a Rob Font autograph I want to give out um, for my next one because, uh, you know, he just had that amazing knockout over Yanez, and I know y'all really enjoyed that. I know a lot of y'all cashed on that, so I'm sure y'all want that Rob Font autograph. 
that's going to be my next contest. So just stay tuned. And then also, um, technique of the week coming Friday. So yeah, hit that subscribe button, smash the like button, leave me a comment after this is done. And, uh, I look forward to speaking with y'all soon. Follow me on Twitter at best fight picks, subscribe to half the battle everywhere. Podcasts are found. So thank you all again. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.